Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hi, Adam. Uh, hey, hey. Are you watching the, the Disney the Disney Plus series, What If? I saw the first two episodes, and I liked them both, but I haven't, I haven't watched more than that. How about you? I watched the first episode of What If?, and mm-hmm. I gotta commend them for capturing the exact energy of a what if comic, where I'm like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing, but this is hyper decompr- or hyper compressed, and it's way better in concept than it is in execution. <laughs> the second episode where Star Lord is um, Black Panther, or excuse me, Black Panther is Star Lord, and he has like this really great crew. Um, which spoiler alert also contains Thanos is pretty awesome. Now I haven't watched the other episodes after that, um, but it is kind of great just how well they, they captured the tone of what if, and uh, that's great. All the bad and good. Yes. It's good timing though, because uh, we're actually doing a what if episode today. We are doing a what if episode today. Uh, We have, Three what if stories um, from the X Men universe. Uh, this is all coming from What If Volume Two, uh, which was the 1990s relaunch of What If. Uh, we've talked about a handful of stories from this, including What If Wolverine Was Lord of the Vampires, uh, which I do believe is the gold standard of What If. No, What If Magic's the best. <laughs> what If Magic's the best. That one's fine. What If Wolverine Lord of the Vampires? Pretty close. Leah, Chef's love kiss. you, girl. <laughs> So we're not going to start with the one that Patreon supporter Samuel Walker did because we're going to go chronologically. Uh, and normally with what if that doesn't matter, but in this case there is some thematic through lines uh, since these first two stories happen to have the same writer that I think we mm. want to talk about and we'd like to talk about that chronologically. Uh, but if you want to be like Samuel Walker uh, and get an episode handcrafted, bespoke, created around a suggestion of your choice. You can go on over to patreon.com slash comicsxf. That's comics x-ray foxtrot. Uh, <laughs> where we've got all of the latest and greatest in comics news, criticism, uh, writing about things. Uh, by the time this episode goes up, there should be a bunch of redesigns of Kanan uh, uh, from the X-Men that are really cool. I just got those in my uh, inbox and I have to get those up. Uh we had a great piece that Noah Fowl did about uh, Paul Smith uh, and his work on uh, X-Men, which, if you're listening to this podcast, probably like. We've got other things going on. I literally can only remember what I did today and what I have to still do tonight. If that's the quality that I'm bouncing around in one day, think about what you guys can get all week round. Uh, but if you do like that, we've got other rewards and other things, and it helps... Uh, you know, keep everyone keep everyone nice and fat and dumb and happy and getting rich in comics journalism. <laughs> All right, so where are we starting here today? Because um, I think people might be a little misled by the cover on this one. Yeah, um, we are going to start with What If Volume 2, number 13, which is What If Professor X Had Become the Juggernaut? Yeah, and uh, right off the bat, we're looking at a really cool... Uh, Jim Lee cover here. Um, we have what looks like the Juggernaut attacking some people um, with Cyclops, Iceman, and Quicksilver by his side. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are things are already amiss before we even get inside. But no Jim Lee art inside. Uh, art is well, by he was Vince. he was too busy drawing the X Men. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you could not still get to... quality Jim Lee content for X Men in May of 1990. <laughs> I promise you. Uh, but we have Vince Mil- Milcherek, and uh, more importantly, I think is our our writer here is Kurt Busiek, who we'll be talk about for the first two stories here. 
Yeah, it's Kurt Busiak, who is a great writer as long as you never, ever say his name on Twitter. <laughs> Are you saying he's a term searcher? I'm he's saying that I'm saying that once I was uh, I was commenting to no one in particular that I think it's weird that uh, they followed up the uh, Marvels uh, the Marvels book uh, with a big uh, like year long celebration of Marvels and there were three books in it uh, one was called. Marvel's X, which was about, which was about Earth X. We had <laughs> one that was about, uh, what, what was, one was called just Marvels instead of Mar, mm-hmm. or no, one was called Marvel instead of Marvels. One was called Marvel's Snapshots, and all of them led to a quote unquote ongoing that I'm pretty sure is going to get cut off as a mini series by this point called The Marvels. And I was like, this is confusing naming. I don't know the difference between all of these similar yet different series, two of which are anthologies, and one is a follow-up to uh, stories that people really like the covers of, but the interiors, they were like, okay, well, it was good when the John Paul Leon issues were coming out. Well, we don't have to worry about that confusing continuity here because we have our own confusing continuity here because in this particular what-if story, uh, instead of Kane Marco... Uh, abandoning his post in the Korean War and getting the gem of Sidorak, well, good old uh, Chucky Xavier gets it instead and becomes the juggernaut, gets buried under stone for a couple years, it looks like, right? And then Magneto takes over America. Juggernaut, our new juggernaut well, gets Well, hold on, hold on. Magneto, Magneto tries to take over America, and the Fantastic right. Four stop him, and then it just means, uh, it just means that anti mutant hysteria feeds up because instead of being nice and pacifistic and assimilationist like Xavier's dream said, uh, the mutants are getting uppity, so everyone is attacking them, and Xavier, now the Juggernaut, breaks his way out and takes over the country. Pretty using much. the combination of being Juggernaut and also being Professor Xavier with his mind yeah. control powers. And I've got to say, he could have just used the mind control powers. He didn't have to <laughs> use the Juggernaut parts at all. I think here's, – here's the thing I don't get early on. I know, I know Xavier is mad about this, but he does just do a whole 180 on any particular – like theory or dream that he may have it immediately moves into fascism it's a real weird switch i think it works for this particular story at least to just tell an interesting version of this character mashup but it doesn't quite gel with uh, the xavier of uh, the books um but uh, you're right about the power set. It's it's funny. There's a whole sequence where Juggernaut borrows the like intelligence of Reed and the technological prowess of Iron Man to to create something. And it's like, okay, oh, the well, Russian the Russians send nukes and try and start World War Three. Right. Yes, right. stop that. So the while there's a large part told in flashback, um, we also the you know the main story is taking place in. I guess what's the present day or the near future where the X-Men are kind of like the police in this uh, dystopian future where humans are, you know, this humans are the ones oppressed. Yes. Yes. Humans. Can you imagine? Think of how bad the world is when humans are the ones who are being oppressed, not the mutants, but the humans. It's a very strange premise. um, You know, given uh, you know, the normal mutant metaphor. Um, and, you know, it's complicated because we then have Cyclops who's sick of seeing, you know, legitimate violence against humans by uh, some some of the, you know, more punkish mutants um, try to stand up for them. And the rest of the X-Men are like, nah, we're good with fascism. Uh, you know, go go try and do whichever you want to do, but we don't want anything to do with you anymore. Yeah, and then at that point, it finds out Magneto is alive, and he's tagged up with Kane Marco, who's really mad at his at his brother for 
becoming, uh, you know, the dictator king of the world. And Magneto tries, Xavier tries to fight him, and they all they all defeat him and launch Xavier into space. Uh, and then Cyclops, <laughs> Jean, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch decide they will help the world be better. And that's where the story right. ends. Yeah, it ends on an optimistic note after they throw Juggernaut into the depths of space. Uh, and I don't know, I it's an enjoyable little story. I think uh, one of the things that I, I you know want to come back to, especially in the next one, is that while Kurt obviously is an expert in continuity and uh, really does know all of the touch points and, and what the history of the Marvel Universe is, he doesn't always have like a strong handle on what the character's whole deal is or what they sound like. So especially, you know, right there's, here. yeah, yeah. It's a little tone deaf when it comes to the voices of the characters. So I think there's that the other, the other thing, and this is a constant challenge, challenge that I have with the work of Kurt Busiek, uh, a lot of stuff that Alex Ross does, a lot of stuff that Mark Wade does, or, you know, if you want to go even farther on the other side of the table, a Jeffrey Johns, is this obsession with the Silver Age and this obsession mm. with the comics that were coming out when they were 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think there are times, like, I love Marvel's. Because Marvels is looking at that stuff and recontextualizing the stories that came out in the 60s and looking at it from a different point of view and using using that nostalgia as a touch point to tell a new and different story where oftentimes mm -hmm. it becomes continuity circle jerking uh, and it's not good. I also know that Kurt Busiak may be the only person to actually love uh the 60s x-men and i'm not talking about the, when neil adams gets on the book i mean all of the no. bad stuff yeah um uh, and if i could just add to that real quick i think that a book like that served a purpose when it come came out as well because the knowledge base and the reprinting of what it's based on was quite low as well i mean they oh, were starting Marvels, to see yeah. mark yeah, you're starting to see Marvel masterpieces come out. So there's some engagement with this, but there's no definitive library of this stuff. So it's a way to re-engage the audience in what that history was. Um, but if it's going to be the only well that you pull from, it's, it, you know, I agree. Like this, this particular story ignores like all of the rest of Marvel, you know, X-Men continuity. It just concentrates it, on that origin story. It's also very reductionist into Xavier's dream and beliefs and brings it to the, you know, the one line status quo that Stanley put in there where mutants are hated and feared. Why? Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> so, but they, they're protecting a world that hates and fears them. Which is, by the way, just to point it out here, there's a couple of things here. One, some of you will be like, yeah, this was a civil rights metaphor, or this was uh, a Red Scare metaphor. And no, it wasn't. Like, I'm sorry. I I know that Stan Lee said, yeah, I based them off of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And Stan Lee, if you know anything about Stan the Man, rest in peace, <laughs> brother. Stan Lee knew that a story was always better than the truth. Every bit of the character of Stan Lee knew that entertaining was going to get him farther than being completely honest. Do you know why the X-Men uh, don't have any origins, Adam? Do, do you know what Stan has explicitly said over and over of why the X-Men don't have an origin and why they are like a race of people? I, I actually don't know. Why? Stan Lee was freaking tired of coming up with origin stories. Oh, <laughs> that's all it is. He, I, in, he has that's said, great. yeah. So I had radioactive spider bites. I had cosmic rays. I had gamma rays. And I, I, I tell you what, I, I don't think Stanley said I'll tell you what in his entire life. Now that <laughs> that sounded wrong, uh, and I, I can't do a Brooklyn accent, uh, or I guess Queens. 
He but started with true believers, you know. True some, believers. snazzies. I said, you know, you know, Jack, how about, how about they just have the powers? And then there's <laughs> bad ones that have the powers and they have to fight. And that's it. That's all 60s X-Men was. Which means that when you actually start to bring politics and ideals into it, which Busiak tries to do here, it becomes incredibly silly to say, okay, wait, you're going to say that this oppressed group has to be reserved and has to keep their own members in check or else they will all rise up and then have a fascist overtaking of the world and the humans will be oppressed. And it's just, it reads bad to me and I don't like that part at all. And we'll get into that a little bit more uh, because I think, I think Busiak is so firmly entrenched in the this is what the this is what the the rules were in the sixties mm-hmm. of what the X Men was and this is what they were in the Silver Age. And I like Busiak has said that he quit reading. I, I don't even have to say said, it's published in a Marvel comic book. He quit reading after Dark Phoenix. Like one thirty seven, mm-hmm. that's when he said X Men's bad now. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine. Not a great place Anyway, to if stop. you want if you want good Kurt Busiak stuff, go read Astro City. Front to back, it's pretty much phenomenal. Um, I don't like this what if. Yeah, I would agree with everything you're saying about the mutant metaphor. So uh, why don't we put this on our big old list? We do have a big old list. Uh, I say it's big because it is... 549 stories long. I say it's old because we've been doing this for a bit now. Mm-hmm. We are we are we are not the elder statesmen of podcasting about X-Men. Um but we have we have gone from the young upstarts to the surly veterans in <laughs> surly <laughs> oh, a very frustrating <laughs> amount of time. Uh the world the world has passed us by. It's turned and left us here. And we just have to deal with it. Uh, but the number one story on our list is The House of X, The Powers of Ten, uh, the 2019 soft reboot by Jonathan Hickman uh, and Pepe Larraz and Arby Silva. Uh, number 100 on our list is X-Force 19 through 24, The Assault on Grey Malkin. Uh, they throw Cruel into the ocean on that one. That's pretty good. Uh there, the next one is number 200, Uncanny X-Men 231, that time that Colossus pretended to be a ghost. Uh, <laughs> number 300 is X-Men Gold 2013, which is not the one that Mark Guggenheim did. Uh, number 400 is Dazzler Die Through 11, Dazzler Herald of Galactus. Uh, number 500 is Psylocke and Archangel Crimson Dawn, and 549 is the Draco! <laughs> okay. I don't think I I don't think this is better than the X-Men Gold uh the 2013 like big anniversary, what the 50th anniversary. Oh, that's why it's called Gold cuz it's your 50th. It's your golden anniversary. Oh. It's your 50th. Okay. I just got where that. Where is where is that on the list? Oh, you're looking way too high. Way too high, Zach. This is this is like a low 300 story. I don't think we're quite into the uh, the 400s with this, but eh, this ain't great. You know what I mean? This is like, it just it just gets it wrong. How do you feel about it against something like uh, Daydreamers at 385? I like Daydreamers better. I think so we've got, too. We've got a big gap because uh, our closest one to this is of what if is 496. What if the X-Men had lost Inferno? Uh, which right. is what if number six, and then yeah. the the next one above it is the what if the X Men had stayed in Asgard of what if twelve. Mm-hmm. That um, one's a lot better. That one is. Uh, you've highlighted yeah. X Men Regenesis, mm-hmm. and I think Regenesis is a better one shot. I like Regenesis. I think I don't hate. No, I don't actively hate Regenesis. I don't actively hate this one either. But it's not like it's not like good. Yeah. Yeah, I think the ending of New Mutants is probably better than this still. You know? like Is it better than number 399, which is the X-Man issue of Operation uh, Zero Tolerance, where he rescues, uh, what is it, Joey and Galen? Or Galen? Uh, his 
Yeah, okay, all right. If like, Sarah is his second cousins, I guess, his second cousins? Yeah. All right. Uh, though, hold on. I'm looking down. 403 is the Amazing Adventures. Uh, Amazing Adventures issues. is better than this. I think that is, too. I'm just keep working my way down. I, I do think this is probably better than, like, Mirror Island Saga 407, though. It's probably not as good as... Mm, Enemy of the State frustrates me, but I think <laughs> Enemy of the State... Still better. I, I think. think Enemy of the State is trying to do a thing that I don't like, but it's it's doing its thing. Yeah. It's just it I don't like it. That I, I like the art. I know you don't. I like, um, but I, don't I like, like this it. better I think than... I can appreciate the John Romita Jr. art in that more than the nothing art in this. Sure. Um, but I... I don't. I think this is slightly better than the Five Lights uh, at four oh six. Well, then this can be four oh six. What if the Professor X became the Juggernaut? Okay. All right. Uh, now we're going to move on to our request, right? Yes, this was the request. It's a. It's one of the rare two parters in the What If series. Ooh. Uh, it's Kurt Busiek. It's Todd Smith. It's what if 46 and 47, it's a two-parter. What if Cable had destroyed the X-Men? And then you get the answer in the title of the next what if, which I think is clever. It's what if (laughs) Magneto took over the USA? (laughs) So we know the answer if we know the next issue. Um, Okay, so real real quick, uh, Cable is not happy with Xavier. Um, this actually starts in a, that very specific uh, jam issue of Uncanny X-Men where you had uh, like Jim Lee and Will Sportaccio, John Byrne. Uh, it's when Larry they're all Stroman. living at the mansion. Right. It's that it's that very, very specific thing. But um, Xavier, instead of being brought back after the stuff around 275, shows up early and is basically like, you guys suck. What did you do to my amazing dream? You guys are idiots. And what Cable's did you like, do to the X-Men to ruin the X-Men? And I cannot, I cannot help but feel that Kurt Busiek <laughs> is saying something oh, yeah. about his feelings on modern comics. Because you have Professor X who comes back from his freaking space trip where he's hooking up with his bird girlfriend on a pirate ship. <laughs> That's all he's doing. He's not doing anything to further mutant kind. He could get home if he really wanted to. They ran into the X-Men more than once. I get that their ship right. was whatevered. Carol Danvers had the power of had the power of binary suns. She could have just zip zap zopped up all the way back there and said, Hey, we need a new spaceship. They were fine. He was enjoying he was enjoying his sex cruise with his beautiful bird girlfriend. <laughs> I get it. Kurt does not like cable. That much is obvious. Very, very obvious. And uh, this nagging Xavier uh, sets Cable off uh, the wrong way. And we get a very clear idea of, and I mentioned this with the first story about Busiek, like knowing a lot about chronology and things like that. He has no idea how to write these characters. Cable is acting completely completely out of character even for this era um i feel like he's basing a lot of this off of like the covers of issues that he's seen um there's a part in here where like sunspot defects over to the x-men and like bobby i mean uh and sam is just like yeah whatever and you're like wait what this is not who these characters are um, and we get this shuffling of stuff, right? The Zaladane stuff comes in here. Okay, Morlock okay, let's... stuff, Fenris. We, we, we need to take this very directly and specifically. Because uh, we, we've got to follow the plot. Because, I mean, the idea that Cable would disagree with Charles Xavier's methods is accurate and right. Sure. It's that, it's that Kurt Busiek thinks it's wrong for Cable to say mutants should be able to be a proactive group and stand up for themselves and not be forced to assimilate into human society and blend in with all of them. That's the part right. where he says, no, that's not what the X-Men is. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm sensing, wrong take. I'm sensing a trend. I'm sensing a trend. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the same 
for some reason, these these Silver Age heads got so upset about Cable as a concept. Like, Magog in Alex Ross and Mark Wade's Kingdom Come is very based much on cable, right? based on Cable. Like, mm-hmm. it's, look, these anti-heroes are destroying this institution that is the comic book. And we must protect our heritage. We will make the comic books great again. And that's not saying that you can't do good stories about the Silver Age. A lot of people like Kingdom Come. I've never read it. It seems like it'll probably be pretty good. A lot of people like it. But it's very, with the X-Men specifically, it's very weird to obsess about the time when X-Men was bad. Just because it was what you read when you were 10. It's also very strange that the main person rallying the X-Men around Xavier's cry after Cable assassinates Gene Scott and uh, Xavier, Xavier. which, let's, let's just be very clear, could never happen. Like, that's just a ridiculous premise in the first place that those three characters could get taken out by Cable. Right, but then the no, I ought to. Re- I I think I think Cable's a very capable man. <laughs> I oh, don't sure. think he would. I don't think he would necessarily uh, do something that would have the collateral damage of killing his parents. Though this came out in early 1993, so it was not established yet. No, that Cable was their child. Weird in retrospect, but continue. Just saying, you're not going to go up against you know the omega telepath the other most powerful uh telepath in the entire world and like kill him with a landmine at the tavern on the green it's not gonna happen (laughs) so after the three of them are taken out the idea that wolverine of all people is gonna be like the the flag bearer for xavier's dream just seems like really really strange too i think i think there's something that you're not giving this book credit here in that okay. the X-Men that are left split into two factions. One That's true. One is led by Storm and it truly is the the you know signal bearers of Xavier's dream saying no, we don't kill, we don't do anything which is Storm. Listen. Storm will stab you if she needs to. She's done yeah, it before. Yep. She will rip out your heart. Like <laughs> weird for that, but I get it. She's trying to respect Xavier all this stuff. She she is Storm is a character who would be more likely to try and keep everyone together. Wolverine and Psylocke uh, and a couple others split off and say no. Um, this is a one time thing, guys. But we are going to kill Cable. Uh, he can't he can't be doing this. We're going to take out Cable. And I think that as a beat, like I think Wolverine. Saying I'm still an X Man, but I'm going to get revenge. I think that's very in character for him. It it also though just like a lot of this stuff, as I mentioned, just seems to feel like they flipped through some covers of things that were happening yes. at the time. You know, like yes. oh, I see Wolverine fighting Cable on this issue of New Mutants. Well, they're going to fight in this issue. Oh, I see Zaladane and some Savage Land stuff's happening. Or well, that's going to happen here. You know, like all of it is stuff that is just kind of like this this weird stew of like sinister, nasty boys are in here, right? We get a Shadow King uh cameo you like get, you, you name get it everything that was happening it. between 1990 and 1992 yeah all of yeah. all of that happens and what they say is well with the x-men all split up the avengers and the fantastic four had to pick up the slack uh and by the way this was the early 90s avengers so they were bad they were they were pretty <laughs> they were they were a pretty bad superhero team uh and the fantastic four were great because they're the fantastic four um long story short Everyone dies, more or less. A lot of people die. Not everyone. A lot of people die, including Cable. Wolverine Wolverine beats him up and stabs him, and there's bombs, and everyone's good. And then Magneto shows up and is like, now I will recruit people and take over the USA. Pretty much. I mean, he shows up at the, uh, at the Capitol and is basically like, beat it, chumps. I live here now. And... <laughs> <laughs> I he does I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure we is this a Dan Quayle 
cameo. There were yes, people loved yeah, that's the Dan Quill cameo comics. Uh, <laughs> so weird. Yeah, Magneto literally shows up to Washington and says, "Look at me, look at me, I am the dictator now." <laughs> and then he launches thousands of Sentinels to take over the world and take out superheroes and all of this stuff. And it essentially says, hey, look, this is going all Days of Future Pasty. This is how the Days of Future Past happens. Well, it's like, keep in mind that the Sentinels aren't coming from Magneto. The, the Sentinels are the way in which the ousted government is going to get their revenge on mutant kind right, for yeah. Magneto coming back. So the Sentinels come out and essentially are like, all right, well, we'll just blast stuff and we get to a point at the end of this story where like mags is chilling in the white house like you got bodyguards like avalanche and forearm who are standing out there like okay. eating a sandwich forearm, or something forearm has one appearance <laughs> in this and it is the best part of this because forearm is just chilling <laughs> and here's the thing forearm the dumbest the absolute <laughs> dumbest idea and i like the fact that he's just become like a guy who's like yeah i Mutant liberation sounded cool. Uh, we kind of turned out to be terrorists. That's fine. But I made some really good friends. And now I just want to vibe. Like, he's got a dog and he's hanging out <laughs> with all the old MLF people in Kirkoa. He is truly living his best life. Truly. Truly. Is that same uh, energy as in this comic? So, yeah, the Sentinels get carried away. Instead of just killing the mutants, they decide they're going to kill all the superheroes. And then from there, I mean, the sky's the limit. So the X-Men come it to warn... It becomes Days of Future Past, like explicitly. Right. They come to, to warn Magneto, and uh, he's just like, guys, this is no big deal. Like, every day at lunch, they send Sentinels here. Except this Sentinel happens to have a nuclear warhead in it. So when uh, Magneto blows it up, he basically, like... Nuclear demolishes all of Washington, D.C. And we go right into Days of Future Past, pretty much. Except this this is the part I did kind of enjoy at the end of here, is that Wolverine has survived and begins one of the most bizarre lineups of X-Men I've ever seen in my life, which is the, the, the closing splash page. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the thing. Uh, they pick a team and to be like, and here's the X Men now. And okay, let's. Who's the weirdest member of the team to you? Because I think we're gonna have different opinions. All right, let's talk about the three not weird people on this team: Iceman, Siren, and Ice Wolverine. Man, Siren, but we have three Wolverine. other people on this team that. I, I posted this on Twitter the other day, and, and some people were like, is that Kitty Pride? Is that Guido? No, that's Sunder, La Bandera, and Amphibious. La what? Bandera is the weird one for me. You may remember Absolutely. La Bandera. List, long-time listeners may remember La Bandera from... Uh, from the, the Wolverine cocaine arc. Yeah, the story where Wolverine fights a lot of cocaine. Uh, Sunder, you may know from being the big Morlock, and Amphibious, you may know from being terrible. He's not even a mutant. <laughs> He's a mutate. A mut- He's a mutate. Uh, the idea that these, uh, these six characters are going to save the world is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but I did love the deep cut of La Bandera standing there, and, like, apparently, I, I had to check. She, uh was killed off panel in an Avengers or a Captain America story. So she never really got uh, any other storylines after the, uh, after the Wolverine cocaine arc, which is a darn shame, but here she is. Where was she? Where was she from? Hold on. Uh, Uh, the pretend like South or Central American country that they just made up. Okay. Yes. But Marvel does that a lot. And I want to understand what specific, uh, which of the specific fake South American, Central American com- countries uh, she was from? Hold on, I'm I'm pulling it up because I'm trying to remember. Wait, is she? Wait, no, she's just from Cuba. Never mind. Oh, okay, she's Cuban. She's okay. She's uh, she did go to Tierra Verde uh, to fight. That's, okay, but she's from Cuba, okay. which is different than Terra Verde 
people forget that they name these things and don't check the handbooks, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, this whole Which thing... is different than Costa Verde, by the way. Yes. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of green. I, See, wait, hold on. I don't... Okay, you're still looking at places? I'm, I'm just... I just want to see how many fake Verdes there are. Uh, the also, universe? also, yeah. I mean, there's there's Santa Marco, obviously. Okay. That's that's the one Magneto took over that one time. What else you got? Um, there's Bosca Verde. That's from Mark Spector Moon Knight, the 1990s Moon Knight book. There's a lot of good Moon Knight books out there. Uh, that one's not. Uh, there's Twer- Terra Verde, Terra Nueve. Tierra de Maiz, uh, Tierra Verde. There's a lot of Verdes. What's the oh, one that? Man. What's the one that Beast did a genocide on? Oh, hmm. That's that's a good question. Uh, I forget. Uh, it doesn't that? matter. There's a lot of weird fake countries. <laughs> and then sometimes they put them all together and make them into one war that happened somewhere that doesn't exist. And that's creepy. Listen, listen. I don't think Kurt Busiek would ever do something as insensitive to say uh, we should we should instead of confronting uh, the terrible past of the Vietnam War, we should use that as some sort of floating war to explain all of the continuity uh, of why all of these Marvel heroes could have been in a war, and instead make it just a floating yellow peril comic. Uh, instead of using some of the wars that America was just just in for twenty years, yeah, yep. Okay, don't read the Marvels; it's pretty bad. <laughs> like I said, Mark Wade and Kurt Busiek, they picked those that idea up and ran with it. It's them; they're the ones. Yeah. So anyway. I do hope that uh, the, the the Mr. Walker who who requested this didn't love these stories um, because I can imagine I, was... I can imagine that they were stories that were important as a child or as a as a young comics reader because I feel like I feel like for what ifs that's something that sticks with you like you read this one what if because what ifs were the perfect thing for someone who was trying to get comics because it was they were all one and dones. Like they were standalone stories. And they're also, um, you know, like the, the living embodiment of the Leonardo DiCaprio from once upon a time on a Hollywood uh, meme where he's pointing at the TV. You know what I mean? Like it's look, (laughs) I know what that is. And this is one of those like two parters where you're like, Oh, I know, I know what that is. I read books that look like that and that and that and that and it doesn't add up to anything but you know it is it is recognizable i guess uh do you like this more or or less than the the first story that we talked about tonight i like it almost the exact same (laughs) i think there's some i think there's some more interesting parts in this perhaps for me i do like the idea of wolverine being like yeah i still like the x-men but i am gonna murder cable I don't like most of the rest of this story. Yeah, I, I am with you. I don't think this is as enjoyable. Uh, not that the other one was that enjoyable, but I, I don't think this is as good. Um, I really think it misses the mark with uh, with the characters. So I'm looking down the list. 411 is Judgment War. I mean, Judgment War is better than this. Judgment War has some Paul Smith art, so... Yeah. Um. And I think that this is probably better than our 413, which is that uh, Marvel Comics presents Cyclops story, which is similarly kind of like a weird uh, character beat that seems a little off. It is. But I think I think we should go just right above it then, because I do think that uh, Chuckles the Truckles uncanny 414 fall down, go boom is better. I would agree. All right. So this is going to be our new 413. What if Volume 2, 46 through 47, what if Cable killed the X-Men and then also Magneto took over the United States? <laughs> well, uh, Magneto, enjoy your uh, your winnings while you can because our last story today is uh, what if number 77. What's this one, Zach? 
that's what if Legion had killed Magneto. It came out in 1995, so like just after Age of Apocalypse had ended. And it's a Age of Apocalypse what if because Age of Apocalypse was immediately incredibly successful and good. Check out our last episode if you disagree and then never tell us. Um, <laughs> it's written by Benny Powell. Warren Ellis does the dialogue. Uh, we haven't talked about Warren Ellis in a while. Uh, long story short, go to so many of us.com uh, and you can see that he sucks real bad. Uh, Hector Gomez does the pencils on this and Adam, this is kind of interesting. What happens here? Well, instead of Legion going back and killing Xavier like he does at the end of Legion Quest, he even goes farther back. So the story begins with Magneto and his wife escaping from a concentration camp and Legion killing Magneto there. So we're going much farther back in time, but all of the story is uh, taking place in the 90s. And, uh, Zach, how would you describe this take on the X-Men? It's such a different version than the ones that we saw in these other two stories. This is what if Professor Xavier's dream came true. This is what if that 60s ideal of we will all sing and say kumbaya and we will, the humans will accept us and we will police our own and keep, keep them in line it's what if that happened and what you kind of get is the x-men are a very weak group they are very afraid of bad press they are afraid of any misstep on their end uh could cause the humans to turn against them and they they kind of refuse to stand up for themselves yeah they're also pop culture icons here which is really interesting uh there's a an over- it's very yeah. interesting yeah um you know, it's almost, I feel like it's veiled criticism of this era in the 90s of the, the animated show and the toys and, you know, all the merchandise which, that was out there. Which is a wild thing to criticize when in a year you will be filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy. But right? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think there's, I mean, that's a that's an interesting idea of mutants as pop culture figures. It's something that Morrison and Milligan uh, specifically, we'll pick up on uh, in 2001 with uh, New X-Men and X-Force. And it's it's done better there, uh, even if both of those series have some issues. And that's likely because this is a big, heady concept that requires a little more space to unpack. Like, Morrison doesn't even get to jump into mutants' as pop culture until a bit into uh, their run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... It, it definitely pulls from the same idea that Morrison picked up in their manifesto where they were saying uh, mutants are a lot like black culture gets assimilated into American pop culture where they will still mistreat black people and still not give them equality, uh, but at the same time are jealous of and always chasing you know, the idea of, you know, the cool black person in some of the music. I mean, I love rock and roll music. Rock and roll music has its roots 100% in the work of Delta Blue musicians like Sun House and Robert Johnson. Uh, Led Zeppelin was stealing music from those guys. <laughs> the Yardbirds were, you know, pulling straight from that cream-covered uh, Robert Johnson, who was a nobody. Mm-hmm. Robert Johnson, Robert Johnson died at 27 in a juke joint after uh, maybe maybe hitting on the wrong guy's girl. Uh, only recorded like 20 some songs, but they became some of the most influential pieces of music in the world. If you've never listened to the work of Robert Johnson, I strongly consider, I strongly recommend you do that. He's the guy that sold a soul to the devil at the crossroads <laughs> to get good good at guitar, which is a great story. That's a great bit. Oh man. So we have these pop culture, uh, excellent points there. Um, we, we have these pop culture X-Men. They are not in the prime. Um, and we see that they are not prepared for villains like Sabretooth and Gideon and uh, a host of others attacking them. Um, and it's really up to retired X-Men Cyclops and Jean to kind of come out of the woodwork and save their butts from apocalypse and the, the, the oncoming hordes of villains. 
Um, and of course, this being a what if story, the way this is resolved is Jean uses her Phoenix powers to go nuclear, uh, basically kill Blow up Washington, D.C. <laughs> she, she, she is a nuke in Washington, D.C. Sensing a theme this episode. Um, so, you know, the, the, the episode ends, issue ends with the, the mutants now being mistrusted and um, hated and feared, hated and feared. Right. So uh, the X-Men school, which uh, it was really just the, the X-Men's base, then becomes a school. And the, the issue ends with members of Generation X and a couple of other characters getting off of a bus to, you know, I guess, start over. It's I think that is it's not a radical idea, but I do think that it's very interesting that it positions itself as saying, hey, maybe the full assimilation wasn't good and mutants need to make sure they are protecting one another and focusing internal uh, instead of external. I think that's an interesting spot. And that I think always has been the advantage of the idea of the X-Men as a school. Uh, it becomes that sense of community, uh, that sense that everyone is, has something in common. They are eating together, breaking bread, sharing uh, meals. All I can think about is people eating with one another i think i used three <laughs> metaphors that were just the same like they have lunch um but i i do think that that can be a that it's it's not as radical as stances krakoa by any means but i like i like the way that this what if approaches the concept of mutants in the marvel universe better than the other two mm-hmm. and because they are all, because they are all looking at that in the same kind of way, I think this one is more the most successful of the three. Yeah, I think it's more radical in, in, in its approach, and it's saying something, whereas I, I'm not quite sure that the other two aren't. I will say, the last panel the, of this... The other two are definitely saying something. Right, right. Um, but it's just it's just not something super great. Yeah, it's, it's a little more base. Um, I will say, the last panel of this issue confused the heck out of me. Um, where we see a, a group of villains, um, one of whom is, I, I looked this up, I think it's supposed to be the Vanisher, but sure as heck looks like Professor Xavier sitting next to Gideon in front of Wolverine and Psylocke and Callisto and a, a bunch of other villains saying, like, we're going to go and get you. And it's like, you you really didn't need that. You know, it's just kind of confusing. You, I, I think, I do think the issue would have been stronger if it was... If it ends on the note that, hey, this is what Cyclops and Jean are going to try and do for mutant kind, not saying, but there will still be superhero fights, because you don't need to tell anyone that there's still going to be superhero fights. Because there's no next issue. <laughs> no one no one will ever return to Earth 77995 again. No. No, they won't. Actually, um, I'm, I'm now checking. Yes, no, no one has ever returned to Earth 77995 again. No. So I do think this is better. Than... Oh, I get it. What if seventy seven nineteen ninety five? Okay, thank you, official handbook of the Marvel Universe, <laughs> A to Z, volume fourteen. Uh, I do think that this is better than the other two stories that we talked about today, but uh, I don't know that I'm going much higher here. It's not like fantastically better, but I, I do think it is. I do think it is markedly better. Like there is there is a strong difference in quality. I don't think it gets, like, it doesn't go crazy high up on the list. No, like, I wouldn't go higher than at 390, we have the introduction of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Um, you I could... would go higher than 394, which is Colossus Bloodline. Sure, I can get behind that. Uh, is this better or worse than at 392, uh, the Dino Rachel story on Kenny X-Men 455? I mean, that, story's not... <laughs> that story's not good. Okay. In in fact, Rachel turning into a dinosaur is bad. So no, that above... this is this is better. This is better than the time that Rachel turned into a dinosaur because she thought she was a dinosaur because she got <laughs> hypnotized. All right, so that leaves us with X Men Volume Four, Burning World, twenty three to twenty six, the Burning World. That's the uh, G Willow that's, Wilson. That's the G Willow Wilson story, and I I I don't know. They're both... I think the Wilson one's better. Yeah, that's probably more successful. So this is going to be, what, our new 392? This is our new 392. What if Legion killed Magneto? All right. 
That was a that was an interesting episode. You said this one would be quick, and then it That's wasn't. I, I know all. there was more to say than I thought it was going to be. Uh, so thank you, Samuel Walker, uh, for an engaging conversation. Uh, I I think this was. This was a lot of fun for me and Adam, who had read these three What If comics recently. Maybe less fun for our audience, who's like, I... Never heard of I don't know. It sounds like you guys (laughs) described three of the same story, which, fair and good. And maybe maybe pop on Unlimited and read the one of these that's available there. Uh, That that is unfortunate that these are not on Unlimited. Is it unfortunate? Well, I just want... It's weird that they didn't do, like, a big, a big, like what if omni before the mm. show came out yeah like that is here's strange. what if volume two right Wouldn't or they difficult. or if they split it up and be like here's what if volume two like the x-men stuff and mm-hmm. here's the spider-man stuff and here's the marvel universe stuff i feel like there could be potential there because i feel i feel like those are two distinct groups and then the we want to collect everything group but yeah. i don't know about omnibuses i don't pay attention to them Thank you, Samuel. Um, again, patreon.com slash comicsxf. Uh, if you want to be like, um, Adam, what do you got going on? You guys can always follow me at Arthur Stacy on Twitter. And uh, what are we doing next week, Zach? Next week, we're going to talk about Generation X. And we're going to talk about times that Generation X crossed over with other comic book companies, all of which are now owned by the Detective Comics Comics Corporation, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, a former subsidiary of the AT&T. <laughs> have they actually been spun off by AT&T yet? Has that gone through? I don't know. I have no idea. It's a, What is it? Warner Brothers I know Discovery were... something or other? Yeah, Disco- the Disco- they were... They were splitting into a more media focused company instead of uh trying to sell telecom it's weird that ma bell owned superman i do think that that's weird and i i understand that mickey mouse owns spider-man now yeah and that's like i don't i don't love it but hey the world is that's capitalism baby yep it's all monopolies so uh tune in next week for all monopolies i don't know <laughs> <laughs> All monopolies? No, no, no. It's gonna be this one's gonna be fun. But until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survive the experience. And if you didn't, then it's a what if comic, and everyone dies at the end. <laughs>